Welcome to this week's episode of Graveyard Coffee Talk. We're your hosts, Amanda and Corinne. And it's a hot summer day. It's honestly not that bad. It's gorgeous out right now. Yeah, for once in my life, I'm actually too warm. It doesn't happen very often. No, I've, I've been outside all day. I think it's fantastic. Um, so yeah, welcome to this episode so, Corinne, what coffee do you have right now? I am drinking a dirty chai latte iced from our local Heine Brothers. Um, I actually wanted to get the nitro iced because, I don't know, it triples my heart rate and it's fun. But they were out of nitro, so I had to just do a regular iced uh, iced dirty chai. And it's still delicious, so I'm happy. What about you, Amanda? I got the Beekeeper's Cold Brew from Heine Brothers, which is a nice honey and cinnamon cold brew it's delicious it's really good i'm pretty sure they put an entire jar of cinnamon in this but like i mean that respectfully you know cinnamon and honey are my go-to's when i'm sick Mm -hmm. because i make pg tips in the microwave which i know is like a travesty but it's faster genuinely i know of at least one person in england who listens to this who is going to throw something oh adrian's husband did try to throw something at me. The first time I told him about microwaving my tea, he looked at me aghast and goes, do you not own a kettle? And I was like, actually, I own two, but this is faster. And when I'm sick, I don't care. But yeah, PG tips, some whole milk, some cinnamon, and some local honey when you're sick. Say plus. Can't go wrong there. And uh, what is our tarot card? Our tarot card today, I am drawing from the Wild Unknown Tarot, because it's the first tarot deck I found this morning, is um, the High Priestess. And the High Priestess is all about engaging with that higher knowledge, that psychic wisdom, um, and also just kind of a reminder to, like, sit with what you know. Mm -hmm. You're smarter than you think you are. Are you sure, Deck? Because sometimes I think <laughs> I'm really clever, and time and again I'm shown I am not. I, as we discussed, I am only clever when I am needed to be clever. Otherwise, I pray to God that I get to be comic relief. Um, but the fun thing is that this card has a tigress on it. Indeed. And um, that will bring me to our topic today. Amanda, what are we talking about? So we are doing part one of our feline episode duo yeah and today we are talking about small cat shenanigans we called it small cats because i forgot the word for domestic when i originally pitched this and i'm sticking with it because it's funnier (laughs) so let's Let's get going yeah so i'm super excited about this topic because cats are everything good in this world they are Um, between us we own four we do And they're all the best. They are all the best. Every cat is the best cat. God, three of them are orange. That's because we hate ourselves. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. My orange cat got a brain cell, though. 
My condolences. I know, right? Because neither of mine did, and I don't think I'd survive if they could actually coordinate. Oh, God, that would be awful. Um, the velociraptors in uh, Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> so I do have to start out by just reminding everyone that domesticated cats did not exist in the Americas until after Columbus made it here, gotcha. making this the one good thing his crew ever did, and they did it completely by accident. You know what? Sometimes, sometimes bad shit happens and you still get something good out of it. And it's a good thing that that good thing is cats because they also brought, you know, nasty ass rats and shit. So, yeah, you have to you have to defray some of that damage, I guess. Uh, So I have a few different tidbits to discuss. We're going to jump around a little bit. Ooh, okay. Uh, So first, it said that early sailors to the Americas thought that polydactyl cats, the, the cats with the yeah. extra toes, were very good luck when you take to the ocean. I've seen that too. And to this day, New England has an incredibly robust polydactyl cat population. Yeah, so does Key West. Really? Yeah, well, that's because Ernest Hemingway really liked polydactyl cats. So they're called Hemingway cats down there. I did not know that. My sisters have gone to Key West a couple times and... Our whole family is absolutely bonkers over cats, so, like... Because, as I said, cats are everything good in this world. They are, and if we didn't love cats, our mom probably would have smothered us in our sleep when we were children. I mean, the cats were there first. They were. So, can you blame her? She did threaten to kick me out of the house when we found out I was allergic to cats. She says, with two cats in her home. It's true. Uh, Sorry. So, no worries. No worries. I don't have anything more in depth there. I don't have any of the reasonings behind why cats were considered good luck. Mm. Um, my theory on why cats were considered good luck on boats is because they would eat the mice that would chew into your grain stores yeah. that you kind of need what? to survive that an ocean fake. voyage. That sounds fake, Amanda. Just saying. Um. But next, I want to talk about a folklore creature I had never heard of before doing my research for this episode. Ooh, tell me, tell me, tell me. So I'm going to talk about a creature seen in northern Mexico and Arizona, the cactus cat. I'm sorry, the what? I have a mental image in my head, and it's really adorable, but also very prickly. It's probably correct. (laughs) So the cactus cat was said to have the body of a cat, like domesticated cat size. Mm -hmm. Covered in long, thorny hair that is particularly pointy on the ears and the tail. I love it! So, and when I say particularly pointy on the tail, think like stegosaurus tail. This this is a weapon. I love it. It's my friend now. The front legs end in scythe-like blades. It's my friend. Which the cactus cat would use to slash the base of a cactus to get to the water inside. Oh, he's a smart baby! They're such smart babies. And it was said that if you were lost in the desert, you should follow the odd tracks because, you know, that's a pretty distinct track pattern. Yeah, for sure. Because at the end, you would find the cactus with plenty of water. That makes sense. Obviously. Uh, the cats were also said to be exceptionally fond of the fermented pulp at the base of the cacti they had previously slashed. <laughs> oh, I love that. Drunk kitties with blades. Yes. So they would go back and get absolutely blitzed yes on the uh pulque is that what pulque is yes so that's i i believe it's a precursor to tequila 
Okay, yeah, because so I'm reading a book right now and they keep talking about drinking pulque and I'm like, I don't know what this beverage is other than that it is clearly alcoholic based on context clues. Yes. I have, not, this is not the first time I've read that book either. What book? Gods of Jade and Shadow. Sylvia Miranda Garcia. I need to read that. I love Mexican Gothic. Okay. Sorry. Um, but they would go get blitzed yes. and just yowl around the <laughs> desert in some sort of drunken feline karaoke session. I love that. I love the cactus cats. Um, the cactus cats were also often blamed for the deaths of desert wanderers who, you know, if people would come across dead bodies that mm-hmm. looked like they were covered in slashes. Um, Gee, couldn't have anything to do with how humans decompose. That's what I was about to get to. Uh, Sorry. So, no, you're... <laughs> How dare you make the same logical leaps that I do? It's (laughs) rude. Uh, So from what I could find, it does appear that the sorts of injuries detailed in accounts of cactus cat deaths are the same injuries that come from death by exposure Mm. in a desert environment. Makes sense. So the cactus cat story could very well be a myth that developed to explain away the frankly bizarre injuries that show up when you're caught up in sandstorms or your body is hit by tumbleweeds going across because turns out those fuckers are sharp. Yeah. Um, And that's really all I have on the cactus cats. I want Um, one. You know, if you hear the myth repeated today by anyone who claims that they were 100% real, they will let you know that the cat is extinct now, um, primarily because people would follow them to go and find cacti to get water from and would end up killing the cats in self-defense. Oh, poor kitties. I know. Um, And while we're talking about poor kitties... Uh, we are about to get into some very distressing yeah. bits of folklore. So trigger warning now for animal harm and apologies in advance. But you really can't talk about domesticated cat folklore in the United States and not bring up southern traditional southern witchcraft. Mm. Um, and it is not kind to cats as much as it respects them. Okay. Uh, To quote uh, the book Folkloric American Witchcraft and the Multicultural Experience by Via Hedera, which, fun fact, I was doing my research for this, and I came across an excerpt from this book, and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to read that book. And so I go on to Google Play Books to buy it, and it turns out that I have owned it, and it's just (laughs) been sitting unread in my book library. (laughs) Thank you for dragging yourself like that. So. (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah. Um, But the little bits that I've read now for this episode are fantastic. And I can't wait to really go and do a deep dive into this book. I love Um, that. And probably come up with more episode topics, honestly. Um, Quote. But if a person wanted to immediately come into a good deal of initiatory power, luck, flight, invisibility, and um, and more. The most classic of Southern folkloric witchbone charms is that of the boiled black cat bone, oh. end quote. And the reason that for a uh, witch's bone, a black cat was favored 
is other, you know, over other animals associated with witches like toads or rabbits or snakes is because cats were seen as the most cunning animal in a witch's employ. Well, they are very cunning. And because of so many of the traditional associations of cats being able to cross into Mm. other worlds and move between the veil. It makes sense, but no, kitties. Yeah, so it was believed that cats had one specific bone in their body that held magical properties. Okay. So... To make a boiled cat bone, and I don't see your cats down here, but I really hope that they are not cover listening. their ears as I talk about this, because it's bleak. Um, at midnight, drop a live black cat into a kettle of boiling water. Oh, no. When the flesh is separated from the bones, collect all of the bones and drop them in a river. If one of the bones rises to the surface of the water, collect it. You are now a witch. And that bone is now the focus of your power. Cool. I'm going to fight that person who did it. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. It was believed that stealing a witch's bone was the best way to stop her. Stealing it would keep her from being able to cast any spells. And destroying the bone would kill the witch as it was her link to the devil. She, well, she would deserve it in my book because we do not, we do not tolerate cruelty to animals. Yes. And this is where it gets a little tricky for me to discuss. Mm-hmm. Because the devil association is really a later Add American on. association. Yeah. And and we'll get to it, but I also don't want to spend too much time bad mouthing what could be indigenous practices or traditional African practices as much as I disagree with them. Um, I, I have a big problem with something that's so outrightly cruel to animals. I, I so. agree. I, I agree. We don't have the time in the length of episodes yeah. that we do to really get into the nuance here. Um, but this practice of killing another creature for power is not a North American exclusive idea. Yeah. And the sacred object as power source and focus can be found across the cultural spectrum. Yes, of course. And I know, I know I'm not supposed to go outside the U.S., but... Oh, no. You make my job easier. Ah. (laughs) Um, And I'm also going to hazard a guess that you didn't cover anything related to witch's bones. I did not. Um, Just because of the... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I'm just going to run full steam ahead. Go for it. So the author of the book that I just quoted um, from her website, I found the following information. Quote, uh, and her name is Via Hedera. I'll say that again. Quote, amulets of animal bone appear to be both ancient and worldwide. The magical power of the black cat bone and its associated rituals have been documented in nearly identical forms in Hungary Finland, and Ireland, as well as countries colonized by Europeans, including the United States, Canada, the Philippines, and the Cape Verde Islands. The English toadman tradition is strikingly parallel. When the proper bone from a toad is recovered through rituals very similar to those of the black cat, the owner acquires a variety of uncanny powers, including the abilities to become invisible, cure various ailments, and attract good fortune. 
Okay, see, and now I'm catching my own bias towards small fuzzy critters. So I'm like, well, I don't really care about the toad. I just really care about the cats. Except if the toad is alive while this yeah, is happening, so, too. And I recognize my bias here. That That is still animal cruelty. It is still animal cruelty. And yes, I would, I'd like to think that I would fist fight someone, but... Yeah. So the black cat bone first appears in folklore in the New World, centered around a pretty diverse group almost simultaneously. Interesting. So within about a decade of each other, it showed up in German-Canadian communities, African-American communities, and Afro-Caribbean communities, which seems to imply that this bit of folklore and myth around witchcraft is a synthesis of European, indigenous, and African magical beliefs all rolled into one. Interesting. Um, and it is a really visceral sort of magic when mm-hmm. you think about it. You know, you are harnessing the power of another life yeah. to fuel your magic. Um, and I know we don't really get super witchy no. too often on this podcast, but I did... Uh, while doing my research, find a fun uh, infographic on Instagram somewhere. I'll make sure uh, when we post this episode that I repost and give mm-hmm. credit because uh, I've got it saved of non-harmful ways to practice ritualistic sacrifice if you want to harness those sorts of powers. So it could be things like working on the weekend or ah. donating money. I, I have another book rec for you after this. Okay. <laughs> I say, still having not actually read Summer Suns. It's fine. It's fine. It's... I don't own this book physically to learn to you anyway, so. Okay. Um, but that is my segment. Sorry to end on such a downer. But I have seen that Witchbone reference. I almost said Wishbone. And that is a completely different thing. <laughs> it's a very different thing, Amanda. What's the story, Wishbone? <laughs> Uh, tell us you grew up in the 90s without telling us you grew up in the 90s. Woof. Yes, that is what Wishbone said. <laughs> I was about to take a drink, Amanda. God damn it. I said it before you took a drink, so I nothing know. came out of your nose this time. It's fine. It's <laughs> fine. Um, but I, I've seen that in multiple books that I've read referencing uh traditional southern folklore and appalachian folklore specifically and it seems really really concentrated in the ozark region interesting of the appalachians okay cool Um, but that's my segment all right um yeah so i guess i'll take over now um so i kind of want to start off with one of my favorite cat facts ever this is very wholesome Mm-hmm. So the Norse goddess Freya actually had a chariot pulled by two cats. I love that. So I was explaining this to my parents because uh, I had dinner with my parents this week and they frequently get previews of whatever I've been researching because I have a captive audience mm-hmm. and they love me and they won't tell me to shut up. And your mom often has lots of booze at the table. Yeah, that's for also everyone. We were eating dinner, so we weren't drunk yet. Anyway, I kind of made like the best quip of my life. Mm-hmm. Where I, you know, I mentioned, you know, Freya had this chariot. It was pulled by two cats. And I said, yeah, I don't know how she ever actually got anywhere. <laughs> because, you know, having two cats myself, I know that there is a reason that the phrase like herding cats exists. You know, though, I 
if you train a cat from young enough, I think it's possible because there is someone in my neighborhood who regularly takes their cat for walks. That's adorable. And that cat is happily trotting away like it's a dog. Maybe. This cat looks almost exactly like Mrs. Hudson. And I'm trying to imagine Mrs. Hudson agreeing to go on a walk. Yeah, she wouldn't have. No. Absolutely not. Mrs. Hudson, for anyone who doesn't know, is our belated cat. Um, She was living with my husband and I towards the end, but we adopted her when Corinne and I were roommates. She She is our cat. Yeah, she, uh, she belonged to one of my elderly neighbors who had passed, and one of her dying wishes was, will you take my cat? And so we did, and we were incredibly blessed for it because Mrs. Hudson broke no nonsense from anyone. Five pounds of whoop ass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. A pretty little package. Mm-hmm. I still will not forget the first time you could feel my son kick from outside when I was pregnant and she was cuddled up on top of the bump because she was convinced that she needed to keep me safe from the universe. And he kicked and the offended look on this cat's face <laughs> and how she just immediately raised her paw back and slapped. It <laughs> sounds about right. The bump and did this offended chirp. Oh, I love it. And then moved to the end of the couch so, like, kind of feeding into that, one of my other little wholesome facts is that in Norse culture, kittens were frequently a common gift to newlyweds. Like, mm-hmm. this is part of starting up your household. You have to have a cat. You do have to have a cat. We and have we'll two. find out if your relationship can survive raising a kitten. <laughs> so, yeah, that's me being really wholesome. Uh, and I probably could spend an entire half hour about me being wholesome about cats because I love them quite a lot. Um, But instead, I'm going to tell you about some of the creepier kitties in Japanese culture before going right back around to wholesome, because I am who I am. Like, we know this about me. We need to end on wholesome after my segment. Ass. I just scrolled too far in my notes. Ass, ass, ass. Son of a bitch. Is uh, gonna go on merch (laughs) if we ever have it. (laughs) All right. So... As we've discussed in previous episodes, Japan is home to a lot of supernatural creatures often lumped together under the term yokai. Um, some of the ones that we've discussed in the past have been kappa, kitsune, and yukiyona. Um, but there are also cat yokai. The overall umbrella term for cat yokai is kaibyo, which means strange cat. Aww. And what I think is really interesting, um, and I'll kind of touch on this a little bit later too, kaibyo is only written out in hiragana. It's not written out in kanji. Really? So there's not an inherent meaning in the words because it's the syllabary, not an ideogram. That's interesting. And I we'll, we'll get a little bit more into this because I've got some folk etymology that we're going to dig into here. Hell yes. Because yes. Because yes. So one of the first kinds of, of kaibyo that people talk about is the bake neko. Um, bake neko also apparently means strange cat. So I must have messed up my notes somewhere. I'm going to look this up again. But anyway, um, I had a hard time finding good English sources because a lot of the sources that was, were being cited were written in Japanese. Mm-hmm. But my inability to read Japanese will not stop me. Never has. <laughs> so some of the behaviors that Bakeneko exhibit are cited as ranging from charming and harmless things like dancing around with a napkin on its head to being able to transform into people 
do some genuinely creepy things like possessing people and manipulating the dead. Um, and huh. the wide range of behavior really reminds me of what I read about, like, Kappa and Kitsune, where you have that whole range of behavior that's, you know, fairly harmless to straight up is going to murder the shit out of you. Yes. And I – it's my understanding, and you know more about this, that that is a running theme amongst pretty much all yokai. Ye- well, no, because Yuki and I are, are pretty much either going Fair. to ignore you or they're going to kill you. But again, they're going to ignore you or yeah. they're going to kill you. And as opposed to, like, Kappa or Kitsune or Bakeneko, who might prank you. So, like, they're still interacting, but they're not malicious, which I think is interesting. So one story that does get mentioned on the Wikipedia page is the tale of Takasu Genbei, uh, who noticed one day his, his cat disappeared. And around the same time, his mom started acting really weird. Okay. And after literal years of the whole family wondering what the fuck was going on with Genbei's mom, and when they'd, like, look in on her room where she was isolating herself, sometimes they'd see, like, a shadowy cat shape. But, you know, they're just rolling with it, because why not? They're respecting her privacy. I mean, you know, I guess good. Yeah. But anyway, eventually, like, shit gets weird enough that Genbei straight up kills his mother. Or what he thinks is his mom. Okay, so I feel like, sir, you left out a lot of context, and you can't yada 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 your way to matricide. <laughs> oh, well, it works out, because uh, it turns out that what he murdered was, in fact, a bakaneko that had disguised itself to look like his mother. And when they pulled back the floorboards, they found his mother's skeleton, which looked, at, looked like it had been munched on. Great. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, one of the things that... One of the ways that Bakaneko differ from yokai like the Kappa and the Kitsune is that they are often believed to have been cat, like natural cats who've lived for a very long time. In which case, uh, the general age is about 13 is the age I saw for becoming a Bakaneko, which does mean that technically Patrick is probably a Bakaneko now. Oh, baby Patrick. Yeah. Um, or if they grew to be a particularly large size. Um, the size I saw cited was about 3.75 kilos, which would also put George very firmly in Bakaneko territory. And Raj. Because <laughs> they are both bigger than three, well, nearly four kilos. Raj is, what, approaching 11? And He's getting close. A good 20 pounds? He's getting close. Uh, and the- he would absolutely munch on a dead body. Yeah, yeah. If... I'm sorry, your thumbs are only good for food, and if you're not going to open that can, I guess yeah. I'm eating it. So, unfortunately, one of the other ways that a bakaneko can be created is by treating a cat with cruelty. Like, say, deciding to kill your cat because it's 13 years old might become a bakaneko. Uh, it was very not uncommon for families to kill their cats when they reached a certain age to keep them from turning into uh, monsters, which is kind of horrible. Okay, that's terrible, because A... They won't. And B, even if they did, when you choose to adopt your cat, you're saying forever. Yeah. So another common kaibyo is the nekomata. This is the other really commonly known cat yokai for us Westerners. Uh, It is very easy to confuse nekomata and bakaneko, but the biggest difference is that nekomata have two tails instead of just one. Okay. Uh, Nekomata come in two distinct flavors. They are wild cats who have become yokai. Um, there is some evidence that these particular stories were actually imported from China. 
on the Sui dynasty. Um, and then there are also domestic cats who become yokai, much like the Bakineko. The other big difference is that while Bakineko might be chill and dance around with napkins on their head, Nekomata are in fact going to do a murder. Or more likely engage in necromancy to fuck with cruel owners. So, again, if I'm being honest, I'm kind of on the Nekomata side about that. Yeah. Fuck them up. Right? I was like, no, no, these guys deserve it. So, Nekomata versus... Black hat. Traditional yeah. southern witch. <laughs> yeah. Fight. <laughs> um, I would watch that horrible, horrible B-movie. Oh, woof. Another thing that I don't have it in my notes, and I should probably add it. One of the ways that you can tell that your cat has become a Bakaneko or a ne- potentially a Nekomata is that they were noted for really liking lamp oil. And what you need to know is at the time, especially in Edo, where the whole like liking lamp oil story comes from, mm-hmm. is that tri- typically, if, especially if you didn't have a ton of money, your lamp oil is made of fish oil. Oh, so every cat. Pretty much. They would also, families would feed their cats scraps from the table. But when you are eating a largely rice and vegetable-based diet, those kitties are missing out on some really important nutrients because cats are obligate carnivores. Yeah. So going back to Nekomata, you will recall I mentioned that Kaigyo is written all in hiragana. So one of the cool things about Nekomata is, in fact, its name because there are a few different ways that you can write it which will influence how it might be translated. Neko is easy enough. It's the character for cat. Uh, in Chinese, it would be mount. And that's consistent throughout however it's written. Uh, however, mata might be written as the kanji for again, which is the most common variant, meaning alternately, you know, it's got two tails. So again, tail again. Love or it. cat again, as in this is its second lease on life. It was a cat, now it's a Nekomata. Or, it can be written with the kanji for forked. As so in the like forked, forked tail. tail. Yeah. Uh, however, the earliest version just had hiragana for mata. And so etymologically speaking, it's, it's a big old shrug emoji trying to figure out what this actually <laughs> means. Uh, most of these variants are essentially a folk etymology trying to graft meaning where the original meaning was lost or obscured. So I think that's absolutely fascinating. I love that. It's super cool. Oh, but it's also so frustrating to not I, have oh, an answer. Right? Right? Um, so now that I've made myself sad about yokai kitties being created by human cruelty, we are going to hard pivot. Good. Yay. Into a contemporary tale that I think you could argue is modern myth. Sort of. Uh, if you've spent any time on Tumblr in the last uh, five to ten years... You are probably familiar with the story of Tama the Station Cat. I love the Station Cat. So I've done some research on Tama. Yay! So uh, Tama was a calico cat who was made the honorary station master of a train station in the in a Wakayama Prefecture. And she did a really good job! So she started her life as a stray near Kishi Station, which is where she was based out of in Wakayama. And was pretty well-liked by area folk. Um, ended up being taken in by, like, a grocer. Well-loved. Um, but over time, ridership was decreasing. And just not a lot of people were coming out to Kishi. So um, the station had become essentially entirely unmanned. And the people who owned... The, the guy who was in charge of the line, a man named Mitsunobu Kojima, 
had a really brilliant idea. He had been asked by Thomas, former guardian, the grocer, to take after this cat because the grocer was moving away. And he did. And he's like, wow, this cat's real fucking cute. So he gave her the honorary role of station master to be paid in the form of as much cat food as she could eat and a nice warm place to sleep. And because she was very good-natured and very photogenic, ridership actually started to increase over time. Because who wouldn't want to ride? Oh, she got a hat and she had a wool bed in the ticket office. Uh, it is actually believed that her presence added literally billions of yen, uh, roughly 7 million U.S. dollars, into the local economy over the course of her lifetime. Because people just wanted to go see this sweet, good girl. Because what a good baby. They used her on all of their marketing material, right? You have to. And um, realizing that they had this amazing marketing opportunity when they saw it, the owners of the rail line had a customized Tama train made for the line. It's designed by the same guy who did a lot of the bullet trains in Japan. Um, so it is covered in cartoon kitties, and it fucking plays Tama's meow. It stops. Oh, my God. I want to go. It's very popular. Um, they I'm actually, sure. They did a whole series of trains for Wakayama Prefecture. So, like, there's the Tama train. There's one for strawberries because it's known for its strawberry production. There's a couple of different ones that are all... I think the other one's Pickled Plum, Umeboshi. Love Pickled Plum. So, um, it wasn't just Tama helping with this, but Tama was a big part of it. Um, so, Tama passed at age 16 and she was elevated to deity status at a small shrine outside of Kishi Station. Aww. It is now known as the Honorable Eternal Station Master. Oh my gosh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> uh, her successor, successor, Nitama, which is Tama II, has things well under control and is training her own Calico successor, Yontama, which is Tama IV. Sun Tama, Tama III, lives in Okayama and splits her time between being a station master there and is acting director of a museum. Okay. I want to know how tours led by a cat go. Okay, one of the things that I saw, and I... And this I, is my favorite display to lay upon. So when they go to give offerings at Tama's shrine, it's it's supposed to be me, Tama, who leaves the offerings. But since she doesn't have thumbs, the human station master holds her and lays out the offerings. Right? I can't! And I just, like... Here we are. Tama's been dead for several years now, but she has been elevated to this status. She's still such a fixture of the local tapestry. It's what she deserves. It's very important. She was such a cute little calico cat with her little hat. I've seen the picture. She was knighted by the governor of Wakayama Prefecture. Good. She had a little cape. Oh my god. <laughs> she was so cute. And Nitama's just as cute. Like, do not get me wrong. Because Nitama's also really fluffy. Oh, no. And then Yontama is just kitten. He's just baby. I just... I'm, Yontama's probably not a kitten anymore because I think the article I was reading was from 2019. And cats, they babies. do grow up fast. And they're babies their whole lives. They are babies their whole lives. So that is, that's where I'm ending it. We're ending it on a happy note. We are ending with the story of Tama, the Eternal Station Master. Oh my God. And one day I'm going to go to her shrine. Yes. And ride the train. Yeah. It, oh, I love it. I love cats, man. Cats are the best. Cats are the best.
All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Um, Sweet dreams and caffeinated nightmares. Good night, guys. Thank you for listening to Graveyard Coffee Talk. Our theme music is Pretty Little Dead Girls by Sean and McGuire. Copyright 2006 and used with permission. Our cover art is by Kyle Welsh. If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at graveyardcoffeetalkpod or on Twitter at talkgraveyard. Fishes up there on the hill. The fish is looking for.